Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Scripture reading today is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, and Isaiah 60, verses 18 through 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, for you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest of mighty nation. I am the Lord. In his time, I will do this swiftly. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sophie. Before we get started, I just want to make a quick note. Um, lots of exciting things going on around the Redeemer Network, including Paul and the Center for Faith and Work. But next week, we're going to have a special guest speaker, David Lee from Redeemer Downtown, is going to come and preach for us. And I'm very excited for that because... He's coming to preach in part because we are supporting him and Redeemer Downtown as later this year he's going to go out and plant the sixth Redeemer uh, congregation at Redeemer Downtown in Brooklyn. And it's very, yes, we can, that's pretty awesome. We, we strongly believe that new churches meet new people. This church did exactly that when we were planted around seven years ago. Within a couple months, 75% of folks who were coming here had never been at a Redeemer before. And so we know that works, and we're excited to see uh, him go out. And so we, we, are, we were started by generous giving from other people, and now it's really, to be, to be honest, it's very exciting for me personally, but hopefully it is for you as well, to now have the privilege to help uh, him start and help this congregation start. So our elders, we've... Uh, agreed to uh, already give him funds. Over the next two years, we're going to give $125,000, which is money that we've gotten from Gospel and Life, as well as funds that we've had uh, um, within our, from our own giving. And 
we're going to be able to launch him with, with that, with all the other people bringing, um, he's raising funds from the other Redeemers as well as Redeemer Downtown. And we're going to get to support him. So he's going to come and tell us more about how we can pray for him and what that looks like. But it's all very exciting about the movement of the Redeemer Network as we plant these churches. So um, get ready for that for next week. Now, for this week, we are wrapping up our series on work. And we've been doing this series because you all spend most of your lives, your, your adult lives, your working lives at work. And I would argue, what we've been arguing, that work is anything that you do that's not rest. And so if you're a, a, a child here, if you're at school, that's still work. If you're cleaning your home, if you're um, picking up trash, that's still work. Whether it's your vocation work or homework or life work, I don't know how often we stop and say, why? And the reason why that matters, why do I work? Why am I in this job? Am I in it because it's about me? Am I in it for my family? Am I in it to make a buck? Am I in it? Why am I in it? The way you answer that question has huge ramifications for everything else in your life, for purpose, for meaning, for identity. And so whether you're a Christian here this morning, you're not a Christian here, somewhere in between, this question applies to you because the motivating factors for why we do what we do has huge implications. And so to end our series, I want to ask this question with three headings. The time frame for our work, patience for our work, and the comfort that we have in our work. I'll say that again. We're going to look at the time frame. We're going to look at the patience for our work, and we're going to look at the comfort that we can have at work. So first, the time frame. Now, some of you are like, why does a, the time frame matter? Well, a time frame is just a, a, a period, an interval, that brackets how you see a, a, a period of time, right? And in this case, I want to look at it, your own, the time period of your own existence. Eastern religions generally say, if you want to talk about time, your existence is an illusion, and therefore time is an illusion, when it comes to a time frame, there is no time frame. Atheists say there is actually a time frame. It's about 70 to 80 years that you get to live on this world if you're lucky. And uh, if you're not so lucky, there's a lot of unlucky people. It's just, that's just sort of random. That's just sort of the way it is. You can't help that. Jonathan Rauch, famed atheist author, once said that he struggles with this concept. That he knows in his mind that he's like, well, as an atheist... There is no transcendent out there. There is no larger meaning to my work. There's nothing in this world that death won't one day take away. And that's difficult. That, I mean, it, it, he struggles to find the purpose and meaning then in our work. I think no, it's no wonder then why many New Yorkers, what we've determined is, well, you know what? Life is just about power. Let's get what we can get. Let's, let's get in and get out. Let's get what we can and then go somewhere where I can kind of hold and protect myself and just focus on my own personal achievements. That's how we think. No wonder most New Yorkers think that way because there's, what else is there? Because all, this is all that there is. Other religions, and I know there's, a, there's a manyfold, but a lot, most religions have this view of, yeah, there's 70, 80 years, but that you need to spend that time to earn, to achieve, to get heaven. And heaven is like a paradise. It's a disembodied space outside of this world. Somewhere else in the clouds. That you, if you do things rightly, if you just follow the code, if you do these things, then you get to get out. 
then you can actually leave this world. Every single one of the answers I just went through, Eastern religions, world religions, atheism itself, all those answers are not actually the Christian answer. The Christian answer has a completely different answer to that view, to, to this question. And it's in our text. Look at verse 1. In verse 1, John, right in the book of Revelation, he's speaking to Christians who were suffering. They were, they were individuals who were being hung on pikes. They were being lit on fire by the Roman Emperor Nero. And what does he say to them? Does he say... To, all, to their pain and, and, and suffering, do they say, you know what, this is all just an illusion? No. Does he say, you know what, uh, life's kind of meaningless and it's kind of random and so if you're suffering, it's just sorry, you get the bad pick of the litter. It's just too bad. Does he say that? No. Does he say, you know, just try, to, try hard and be good and then maybe one day you can leave this world and go up to heaven? No. Verse 1, what does it say? He says, I see a, I, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now some people are like, what, why does it matter that there's no sea? Well, in ancient times, the sea was considered an evil space. It was a mysterious space. It was a body of water, but people would fall in and they would die. The sea would take ships. Things would disappear. So the idea that there's no sea anymore is the idea that suffering is over, that evil will be gone one day. Then look at verse 2. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven to earth. And then look at verse 5. It says, in verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Or in some translations, I am making all things new. That means, as hard as life is, as hard as life will be, as hard as your work is right now, as, as hard as your work will be, whatever you're going through right now, the future, this is saying the future is this physical world, heaven comes down to, and, re, and it is remade, it is renewed. That there is something about our future that absolute glory and honor and, and love and justice and light and goodness, it's not about going up there. It's coming down here. That means the future is not non-existence. The future is not meaninglessness. The future is not trying to live some sort of disembodied life on a cloud, strumming a heart with a bunch of halos and, and angel wings. That's actually not what you see here. It's actually a huge misconception to say that you go up to heaven. And actually, if you want to, really want to think about it, it's actually unkind to say to people. Try to say to somebody who's lost their baby. Try to say to somebody who's who's been through trauma and suffering and heart hurt, and you say to them, hey, don't worry, one day you'll get to have a disembodied life somewhere else. That doesn't actually help you in your space. What does help is knowing that whatever you're going through, whatever is troubling, whatever is hard, the toil and suffering, it's not wasted. It's redeemed. It's this world. We don't want out. We want things fixed. And I think the key phrase that go back to verse 5 is I'm making all things new. This is really important. It doesn't say I'm making all new things. If it says I'm making all new things, then guess what? That means the old, what we're in right now is going to go away. Say no, I'm making all things new. That means all things, these things, you things, the things are going to be renewed. And remade and, re and renewed. And that means our time frame 
is not just 70, 80 years. Our time frame goes beyond ourselves, and that gives us, therefore, infinite value to our work. What we start today will be used for tomorrow. What we start today will be used in the future because heaven will be fused to the earth that we build now. That's amazing. And that would change everything. And so before we move on, this is what I want to ask yourself. Is this the time frame by which you live? Is this, do, you, do you access this? Is this how you see yourself? Is this the one? Because I guess what? If it was, it would change how you saw your work. It would change what jobs you took. It would change how you could stay in the jobs that you take. It would change where you lived. It would change how long you lived there. It would change how you saw your presence in your work, in your space, in every single action that you did. So much of our lives, we're just so tired and I can't even, and, and we're working ourselves thin or we're ignoring things or we're just apathetic about work or this and that. This changes all of that based on our time frame. That's number one. Now, number two, patience. Pa- why, you're like, why is, where's patience here? What's, what's the point of patience? Look at the Isaiah passage. First verse, verse 18, it says, No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. That is unequivocally positive. For the Black History Month, I've been going over notes from when I went to go see the Equal Justice Initiative installation at the Brooklyn Museum. This was a couple years ago. It's now found its permanent residence in Montgomery, Alabama. But it details over 4,000 lynchings that happened between 1877 and 1950 of African Americans. And those are just the documented ones. It's not the undocumented ones. And as I, I still vividly remember going through that installation thinking, all the lives, all the families, all the brokenness, all the ruin, all the destruction. And this, it's, it's an overwhelming amount of that. How does knowing that there one day will be no more violence and no more hurt and no more ruin, how does that actually help us handle that and handle our work now? And I think the answer is this, is it gives us patience. Some folks will say, well, wait a second, doesn't that just mean... You care less. If you know it's all going to be fixed in the future, I've heard this critique that people say, oh, it's just going to, that means then we don't have to worry about it. And that's, that's not true. It gives you, what it does is it gives you the moral fortitude to handle the movement in that direction. Martin Luther King Jr. himself said once that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. What he's saying there is, You know, time is long. It takes a long time. But if we know that it bends towards justice, then that gives us patience. It gives us the presence, the moral fortitude to handle that, knowing it's just going to be a matter of time. And therefore, I think there's a lie that the world tells us is this. You have to get your happiness now. You have to get your comfort now. You have to get your vengeance now. Whether it's the hurt that you need to get redeemed or the comfort that you need to get redeemed we're told it has to happen right now that's just a lie at the end of lord of the rings um there's this great little mini passage most people look it over it's where frodo he's coming back to the shire and he's in pain because he was stabbed by this sword and a bit of the sword broke off and stayed lodged in his body and it was causing more pain and gandalf in a very simple statement this is what he says he said Alas, there are some wounds that cannot be cured. And it's such a, such a small 
throwaway phrase, but I love it because it, it's sort of our situation. It, it reminds us, it applies to us. Some of us have very deep wounds that are never going to be fully, fe- uh, fully healed. Obviously, you, you've been stabbed. Bits and pieces of broken blade are lodged in our bodies. And I think it's a lie to say, you know what, that, you know, some sort of match, drink this magic elixir, elixir and then everything's okay. No. A lot of us have been deeply wounded, and it's going to be like that for a long, long time. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. And you know what you need to hear? You need to hear Isaiah 60, this verse, this 18, that there will be no more violence. Look, look down to verse 20. The sun will never set again. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will, will end. That's what we need to hear. We need to hear, go back to verse 5 in, in Revelation. You need to hear, yeah, he's making all things new, but look how, look how. He says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's speaking. He's declaring something new, and therefore it becomes new. You need to know that. When I was a kid, I remember telling my dad, um, I think we had just moved to the city. It was like 8 or 9. And I remember saying, I thought the worst possible job that you could po- have is scraping uh, the gum off the sidewalks. You know, you know, everybody throws their gum down. There's a little, like, black disc everywhere you walk. That's actually somebody's gum. And I've actually saw somebody trying to scrape it off, and I t- said, I, I now know there's, there's a lot worse jobs out there, but I thought that was the worst job that you could have. And I remember my dad pushing on me and saying, you know what, what if you got paid $30 million for that job? And he turned into this little thing where you, if you're making... an hour, two people, two people do the exact same job. One person gets $3 an hour, one person gets $30 million an hour to scrape gum off the ground. How do you think each person feels? The first person's going to be like, oh man, this is my back, I mean, everybody gives me the credit, I don't, nobody cares about me, why am I doing this job, it's a thankless job. The other person, you know what they're going to do? They're going to whistle while they work, they're going to be like, this is the best job ever, Man, this is great. And, I, you know, and he's used that analogy before, but I think it, it pushes on us because we think our problems are our circumstances. But that's proof that, no, 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 no. It's not your circumstances that's the problem. It's how you see the value of what you do. In this case, it's monetary value. Our problem is not our circumstances, it's our expectations about the future that changes our mood in the present. See, it's how, it's how we see what we're doing and what value it brings. And this, in this case, it's monetary, but look, let's put it this way. What if you knew that what you did had infinite ramifications? What if we knew, see, we know that the world, the new heavens and new earth, this future world is going to have streets without pieces of gum on it. What if we knew that the scraping that we did today will last and be part of bringing that future into today's reality? That has infinite, infinite worth. See, that's what I mean by saying that that gives us 
the patience that we have, knowing this future is assured that it's coming into fruition, and we're part of the building of that future, that means nothing can stop that. We can throw ourselves into reckless abandon, into all kinds of things, knowing that whatever you do, the culmination of our work is building towards this physical, tangible, remade reality. I think it gives us this patience that whatever comes our way. And so, before we move on, if you're not a Christian here, I, I really ask you to ask yourself, are you really living your life? Is the way you live your life really supporting, sorry, the, what you believe about your future, is it really supporting how you live today? Because if you believe that, you know, the future is meaningless, I don't know if you've really have applied that to your everyday life. If you are a Christian, I don't, I don't know if you're living, are you living in light of this too every day? Are you accessing this as your resource? Whether you've lost your job or in a temporary job or in a job that you don't really like or you're like, it's mundane and you're beating your head against the wall or you're succeeding in high flying, everything's great. Do you realize what this is actually trying to give us? That chaos and suffering will be gone one day. But guess what? Brownies will be in the future. Monosaturated fat that kills, that clogs your heart, not going to be there. Brownies will be in the future. If you don't like brownies, you might not be in the future. But <laughs> my brownies are going to be in the future because brownies are good. And we're going to be able to eat those and be together with them. All good things. <laughs> Michael loves brownies, I know. Um, like, that's the best thing you can do? That's the best you can come up with? No. But knowing, knowing the, the bits of blade that are lodged in our wounds that are not going to go away now, knowing that there's painful, deep wounds, but they're going to be fixed, that gives us patience. Now, last point. What comfort do we have in the in-between? Go to verse 4. Uh, Paul brought it up earlier, but I, I, it's so good. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will pa has passed away. He will wipe every tear. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. I mean, that's probably the most comforting line that you can find in the Bible. And here's the thing. If, it's actually a great apologetic because the very fact that this world is not that, but that's what we all know what we want, we all desire that, is proof that you are not made for what this world has become. But here's the thing, I, I need to tell you, I, I'm going to confess to you guys, I really struggled with this passage. I really did not want to preach this passage today. And the reason why is because in my own grief and in my own sadness, my father passed away last year. This is hard. I never, actually, it's really given me sensitivity when I've preached very positive things to people hurting. I thought it'd be all really helpful. What I've learned is that's actually not always the truth. That it's painful to know that this will be there one day because in my hurt now, it almost hurts too much to think this because what if it's not true? What if, what if you know, I'm just being gullible? This is what my non-Christian friends tell me all the time. Like, they say, this is, this is pie in the sky. This can't be too, this is too good to be true because the cancer meds don't work, because we lose our loved ones, because jobs suck the life out of us, Parents fail us and relationships die. James K. A. Smith says that our cravings haunt us. Sorry, our craving is haunted by losing. 
And what we lose so often, we just, it just it hurts. I don't, I'm, I'm scared of getting my hopes up. I'm scared of, that I might be wrong. So what's the comfort? Well, I think the comfort's in verse 6. Look at verse 6. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning. To the thirsty, I will give water. I think this is comforting. Why? Because who gets the water? Is it the, is it the faithful? No. Is it the people who even desire the thirst? No. Not really. Is it the, the good people? No. Are you saved? Is it, is it even hoping in it? Because sometimes I'm scared of hoping. No. All you have to have is a thirst. That's all you have to have. But God does not require payment at all. And I'm parched. I'm thirsty. I, I want death to be over. I want to see my dad again. I'm desperate for there to be no more death. For babies not to die, for cancer to disappear, for bosses to stop taking credit for other people's accomplishments, for kids to feel loved. And this says, look at verse 6, it says it's done. It is done. I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but that phrase, it is done, is very similar to what the last phrase that Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished. Right around the same time he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a quote from Psalm 22. And if you read the whole psalm further down, it talks about thirst. That Jesus was thirsty. That his thirst was a cosmic thirst that he took on the sins of the world so that we ultimately will never thirst. Because Jesus thirsted, when we thirst, we can still be refreshed. He's poured out like water so we get this living water that he's talked about in verse 6. See, the brokenness of this world, we, we can talk about how it's all, all out there, but I think if we're deeply honest, the perpetrators happen through major sins like war and, 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 and crimes, but they, ha they happen through minor sins, through our, what we do, everyday lives, the self-prioritization, the self-centeredness, the, 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 the personal achievement valuation breaks creation in small ways that over billions of people over thousands of years leads to where we are today. And yet, we don't pay the penalty, he does. If we took the vision that's given to us here, and I really do think I, I can, I can lay, lay this vision next to all the other visions of reality that people have come up with, and I, it, it overwhelmingly is more satisfying and is real and life-changing, and it lets us change how we do our work in our life. If you, if you have this thirst-quenching reality in your life, if you really believe this, if you make this the main hope of your life, it changes everything. Will you let it? This is the only hope that can't be taken away from you. Your health, your looks, your job, your, everything else can be taken. This can't be taken. All right, to end, let me just give you two things, what you can do with this hope. Number one, you can allow the future to break into your past. What do I mean by that? Uh, this, is what I, this is, again, practical application. Allow the future to break into your past. If you don't, here's what you'll do. You'll either live your life always striving to be successful, and you'll never get it, and you'll die sad. Or, guess what? You'll make it, you'll become successful, and you'll die realizing that it never gave you what you really needed. Jesus is like, listen, <laughs> I worked myself to death so you wouldn't have to. Jesus is like, I'm the only boss who grounds my... I grounded myself into the ground so you wouldn't have to. 
Only if you see Jesus die for you in the past, that secures your future, and that lets the future break into your past. One of my friends, um, uh, James Eglinton, he's a, a scholar on the theologian Herman Bavinck, he sent me this quote when my, when my dad died. He said, my, he said, this is the quote from Herman Bavinck, the Christian lives in the future, but the future lives in them. It's a really powerful quote. Let me say it again. The, future li- the Christian lives in the future, like we're always thinking about that, but the future lives in them. Which means then, the future healing of every wound is actually in you now, today. That means the broken blade pieces that are in you, yes, but so is the future healing that knows how to fix those wounds is in us now. The future city of all things new that doesn't stop the sadness. The knowledge of that doesn't stop the sadness. It doesn't stop me missing my father. It doesn't stop me wanting to see him again. But it does mean this. It means I know that I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to be with him again. It changes, I'll see you never to, I'll see you soon. And that's a profound change. Take the hurt of your life and allow the future to break into your past. So if you feel broken, if you feel weak, if you don't feel put together right now, whoever you are, you can draw on that in the here and now. Famed Jewish scholar, um, sorry, Jewish Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, he was also a psychiatrist. He, he um, wanted to know why some people survived the Holocaust and other people didn't. And so he did a, a lot of interviews and he was trying to figure out why did people in the same situation, the same uh, camp, why did some people die and other people didn't? Was it because they were physically fit? Was it because they were male or female? What was it? And you know what? After all the interviews, he came up with only one constant. The people who had a hope in something outside of this world, those were the people who lived. His point was this, is that if the Nazis could take away your money, the Nazis could take away your, your livelihood, your, your, your health, your your work, your money, your family, but they couldn't ever take away your hope for something outside this world. And those are the people who lived. Only a meeting outside this world that suffered could not touch kept you alive. And so I want to ask you, is, that, is your hope outside this world? Is it in the future? Is it outside coming down into to fix and redeem? And what's your hope in? Allow that future to break in and impact you. Last point. Yes, allow the future to break into your past, but allow your present to bring in the future. Allow your present to bring in the future. To all those who say, you know what, hoping in the future is just going to make you sort of passive and, uh, you know, not care about things, you can show them that how that's not true with the, by showing how the fact that if God takes care of me, and moves me and changes me, then now I can, in the ordinary world, bring the future into reality. What's so crazy is God supernaturally meets us, but often in, through the ordinary means of our everyday lives. The reason why we're teaching a seminar on hospitality is because that's an everyday, ordinary way that we can serve and care for other people in extraordinary spaces, in supernatural ways. That's what's so mysterious, that God's supernatural power moves in these ordinary spaces. And that gives us infinite value. How? One way is that if we know that whatever we do today lasts forever, if we know that our assurance about tomorrow gives us energy for today, then 
That means you could be at the photocopier. I don't even know if people use photocopiers anymore. But if, you, if you're at the photocopier, if you're drudging away at that Excel sheet, if you are in the most mundane space, whatever those spaces are, if you're taking chaos and bringing order, which is what our creator did in Genesis, and we get to do it now, when we're doing that, that's going to last. God's going to use it to build the future. It would stop us also from looking down at anybody. Manhattanites are known for this. Right? We, we, we take jobs that uh, change the world, right? We're always telling people, what am I doing that's going to change the world? Uh, we take jobs that have high-paying jobs that are supposed to be you know, high-functioning jobs, but then you have a us versus them, and I look, you know, one, one job's better than the other. But if we know that all jobs, all things that we do, are bringing in the future creation, then that means that we would never look down on other people. That changing diapers and picking up trash and cleaning a room just as much brings in the future as anything else. That, that levels the playing field. You can let your desire for justice to be affected by the final justice, too. A woman named uh, Tina Dare, I saw a video from the Center from um, the Faith and Work Initiatives at Redeemer City to City. And there was this waitress who, for many years, she... Um, the, the, the waitress world is this. You tend to serve people who you know are going to give you tips better. Sort of a, un, you know, everybody knows the secret that you care for the people who you know are going to give you bigger tips. And as she started letting the reality of, of w this future being real and what she does brings it in, she said, okay, I'm going to try to be a restorative presence. And the way I'm going to be a restorative presence, I'm going to wait on tables equally. I'm going to give people, because they're worth the dignity and value that they are just by being humans, I'm going to give that worth as equally as I can. And it moves and changes people in small ways. Everyone should have that. And it wasn't just as a sign of the future. It, she, she realized she was actually bringing that reality now. And that's just being a waitress. And my point is that you can do this in any space. Many of you have gone into jobs because your fears and uh, of, of not having enough money or because maybe your parents kind of pushed you into these spaces and so you have all these feelings of, well, I feel like I have to do this and then we're in things that we don't really want to be at. They still have infinite value for us to be there that lets us be there. The world may never see your work. The world may never see how you care for a parent who uh, is really hard to be care for or send that, maybe the world will never see that text message that you send a friend, that you didn't have to, but you, you, you reached out to say, I see you, I know something that is going on, how can I help, how can I care? You know, the world will never see how you don't fudge the numbers when everybody else does. That's all part of building this kingdom now. You know what we say every day uh, at, on Sunday? We do the Lord's Prayer. You know what we ask for? That the kingdom come, the Lord's kingdom come where? On earth. Let the thirst for this kingdom drive us in, into making all things new, knowing that one day that things will be made new, that the, the brokenness, the, the hurts, the grief that you walk around every day with, I have my version, you have yours, that doesn't go away, but it tempers it and brackets it so that we can actually go off and serve and do things in powerful ways. That's what I want our church to be about. That's what I want us to be about. That's what is offered to you. And because our tears will be dried away, and wiped away, and everything sad will become untrue. We can live in that hope. 
changing in small but profound ways that are going to be kept forever, done today. Let's do that now. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you say in, in this Isaiah passage, I am the Lord, in its time I'll do this swiftly. Sometimes we feel like you're taking too much time, but here this is telling us everything's always on time. Help us to know and rest in that, that I am the Lord, that you are the Lord. We can say, how long, O oh Lord? And at the same time, hear the answer. Help us in these spaces. Help us to simultaneously use the future as a balm into our present and help us to use the present to bring about the future. Help us to see the infinite value of our work. Help us to love and serve people no matter where they are and who they are and, and what they think about the world. But let this change how we see it now and always. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.